Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and you're hearing Indivisible from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. On Thursdays, I'm listening to you about how our identity as Americans is being shaped by the political divide that we're in the midst of, what it means for our sense of community and our roles as citizens. Tonight, where faith fits into identity and politics. And here's some context on that. We're in a time when fewer of us are attending organized religious services, although many Americans still consider themselves to be religious. More young Americans than ever identify themselves as having no religious affiliation. They're called nuns by researchers, by the way. White men who are evangelical continue to support President Trump, even though his national approval ratings are low overall. And progressive Protestant congregations have seen church attendance and giving climb since the election in November. So what are we to make of this? As our guests join us, I'd like to hear from you on this. How does your connection with a faith or not influence your political beliefs on a number of different issues? Do you find yourself less engaged with a faith community or more? I'd like to hear from as many different faith traditions as possible. And if you're 35 and under, are you finding other ways to be of service to your community than religious and political activism? So I want to hear from a lot of different faith traditions, but I'm, I'm looking to hear from you on where your political beliefs and your connection to a faith community or not intersect. And if you're 35 and under... I think that there's some interesting research on this. I'd like to know if you're finding other ways to be of service to your community than religious or political activism, and then tell me why. Here's the phone number, 844-745-8255. Find me on Twitter, at MPR. It's K-E-R-R-I-M, as in Minnesota PR, and use the hashtag Indivisible Radio. Our guest tonight, Krista Tippett, is the host of On Being. It's a show about the ideas and ethics of being human, and it's heard on public radio stations nationwide, and she's with me in the studio. Hi. Good to have you here. Hi, Carrie. Jennifer Bailey is with us. She's an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and the founder of Faith Matters Network. She's usually based in Tennessee, but she's joining us tonight from New York. And uh, Jen, it's really good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Krista, I I wonder if you've been, I saw you quickly making some notes over there. I I wonder (laughs) if you've been thinking about the idea of of a nation that seems to find fewer reasons to go to church or to temple or to mosques because this is happening in a number of different faith communities, but that still thinks of itself as religious. What is that about, do you think? Well, if you, if you, you know, it, it's important to remember that that, that nun label yeah. comes to us by way of an opinion poll. And so it, there's not a lot of nuance in the word. Um, if you break that down, 
you see that what people are resisting is being is a label. And I actually don't think we should be surprised. It's interesting we're talking about religion and politics. I don't think we should be surprised that people who were born in this country, in fact, in an era in which religion had become politicized in a very toxic way, grew up wary of religious identity and of anything dogmatic. But if, but again, if you look beneath the surface of that answer that they give, you know, you use the word service mm-hmm. and community. Right. And I see, I do not see people turning their backs on those things. I see people, you know, a lot of nuns are attending uh, church services and synagogue services. Um, they're not identifying, they're not taking the label, but I think in many ways, you know, they are, they are calling religious institutions and religious people to live up to their, to their core ideals. You know, Jen, Krista uh, mentioned something here that I wanted to pursue. Um, this idea that for a while in this country, religion was highly politicized. I'm wondering if that has diminished, you know, what has, what, what is your sense of this? And you are, what, in your upper 20s, low 30s? Late 20s. Late 20s. Okay, good. So you grew up with an awareness of what Chris is describing. Do you think it's different today? I do. You know, as someone who came of age and really developed in the post September 11th era, I think myself and many of my peers saw the way in which religion was deeply politicized. Um, For many of us, we experienced both voices of the religious right, those who had a very prominent role in conservative politics during the Bush era. And at the same time, um, we had this language and rhetoric coming from atheists who told us that religion poisons poisons everything. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I am a little bit of an odd duck in that demographic as a young woman under the age of 30 who is not only religious, but is a clergywoman in a historically black church tradition. And what I found among myself and many of my peers is that while some may be stepping back um, from the labels of particular religious traditions, many of us are leaning in very deeply um, to the roots and values of our faith and using it as a tool to promote things like justice, right? So many of us have found a new church in our social movement spaces, and others are forming new forms of community. You know, Krista gave the statistic of one-third of Americans, 18 to 35, are now unaffiliated, but two-thirds of those folks still believe in God or a universal spirit. I think the question is how we're forming these new communities. Listener on Twitter says, "Um, I'm a 32-year-old who has found my work at the confluence of my art, my politics, my community, and my faith. All are indivisible. To the phones here to Steve in Colorado. Hi, Steve. So uh, to answer your question, I'm somebody who doesn't consider myself particularly religious, but I do tend to have some pretty conservative viewpoints. And then what I find is I run into people who have similar viewpoints, but they justify theirs from more religious uh, stand, where I'm trying to use more of a rational uh, point of view as to why I believe those. And a lot of times I'm turned off by certain conservative views because of how many other people are using this religion, which I feel is ineffectively using it. And so I tend to lean a different direction than I normally would because of the way other people around me are justifying the same beliefs. Uh, Steve, what, what part of Colorado are you from, by the way? I'm from western Colorado okay. in a, uh, in a uh, 
county that is mostly red. Okay, um, interesting. With a very small blue pouch. And one other question here. So you said you don't consider yourself religious, but as I noted at the beginning of the show, there are a number of people who would not maybe put that specific label on it. But as Krista saying, they feel committed to causes and and ideals um, that you know in some communities look like religious ideals. How would you how would you describe yourself on that? I would say that I'm definitely committed to certain uh, ideals, and there is a lot of overlap in our community of who's committed to the same ideals. And oftentimes, it's it's other religious groups that are trying to promote the same things. Um, it's some of the more political issues where I want to be more conservative, but when I when I see the rhetoric coming from the quote unquote religious right as opposed to more of a rational right, then I tend to I tend to sway away a little bit. Okay, really good to have your call, Krista. What do you hear in that? Um, you know, I think I think what that points at for me is um, um, we have we have had this politicized religiosity. And Carrie, I think it's really important to say here that our that journalism colluded in this. Yeah. Right? There were just a very few kinds and uh, levels of stridency of religious voice that were really we threw all the microphones and cameras in front of them. Um, what I think it points at is that we need to create a space where we can talk about where we can have a vocabulary of moral imagination in common life, which includes religious voices and includes somebody like Steve, um, a, a much more rich and robust vocabulary. One thing I found with our show is that there have always been many atheists and agnostics um, in our media space be, and who want to be part of the conversations we have under the rubric of faith. Mm-hmm. But that language is not expansive enough or descriptive enough for them. You know, Jen, I, I was thinking about where the role that churches and African-American churches as well have played at, in community activism. I mean, there was a time when churches were, you know, the voter registration during the civil rights era and beyond. Is, is that changing, do you think? And is that is that okay? I mean, I mean and is, is that also why you think in some ways people, some people are pulling away from the, f- the formal relationship with the church? You know, I think that there's a two-part answer to that question. On the one hand, many historically black church denominations continue to be a space for deep politicizing around social justice issues, voter registration, etc. And I think for many of us who identify as millennials within that church tradition, there is a sense that we have, in some cases, deified the image of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And it's become yeah. this sort of deity that's up there and something we point to and look at. But when it comes to addressing the still very real um, injustices that exist on the ground, things like gender inequity, um, housing inequity, the real lives of people, there is, I think, within my generation, a, a sense of deep dissatisfaction with the response of the institutional church. And Jen, what I found— let, let me, I just want to—I don't want you to go too far away from what you just said about deifying the civil rights. But what, what are the consequences of, of kind of putting something like that up on a pedestal? I, I think it makes it ahistorical, right? I think when we think about the legacy of someone like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King— who has become this sort of sainted figure for many folks, we forget about King's deep humanity, Mm -hmm. that we forget 
about people like Ella Baker and the student organizers in SNCC. We forget about the church ladies who were the foot soldiers in the Montgomery bus boycott movement. And it makes it seem like, one, the issue has been resolved in our communities, that civil rights has been fully um, resolved. And at the same time, it makes the accessibility, I think, of something like movement leadership seem far away. That's why I find in spaces like the Movement for Black Lives, for example, a figure like Ella Baker is often uplifted who said that strong people don't need strong leaders. And what I think Baker meant by that is that within each of us, there is an ethos, there is an ethic of and potentiality to make transformation on a local level. And many I think of my peers in the black church and folks who are invested in seeing social justice recognized and realized in a very real way have found themselves finding spaces outside the institutional church and movement spaces like the movement for black lives or the say her name movement, which uplifts um, African-American women who've been killed by police officers or the environmental justice movement as a space to really begin the work of living out their faith when the institutional church in some ways has uh, not provided the space for that type of real transformation in a very practical organizing level. Let me grab a call here from Kansas City, Missouri to Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for waiting. Curious about what you're thinking Hi, on this. Thank Hi, you. Hey, what are you. What are you so thinking I about? Talk, I want to say that um, I think there is an issue right now where people are conflating religious conviction with political position, ah. and that when the church historically, in the civil rights movement and other things, has been a political force, but I think now it's kind of shifted to where instead of being a political organizing force, it's inflicting a religious doctrine on um, the people broadly, um, where there isn't a lot of space, at least in maybe some more conservative churches, uh-huh. for people to disagree, essentially maybe say they're more liberal, because um, I think the pro-life movement in the church has been so strong that if you're not pro-life, then you're not a Christian. Or if you support a candidate who maybe is pro-choice, but stands for a lot of other things you believe in, like you can't be a Christian if you follow, if you support a particular candidate. Mm-hmm. And I know in, um, in my life, I am a, um, I would say probably more libertarian at this point, um, but Christian woman. And I don't think I'm, I don't feel comfortable aligning myself with a more conservative candidate um, because they're so enmeshed in the religious right and how toxic that is right now. Yeah. May I ask you if you, uh, Victoria, if you do attend religious services, do you belong to a church? I do, every week. Yes. Um, I have, I was raised in the church. I actually went to Wheaton College, Uh which is an evangelical um, college. And, um, and there's definitely been some tension where I haven't necessarily felt the freedom, not necessarily with my, uh, my friends who went to Wheaton, but definitely some of my home church um, as allegiances, um, the, the freedom to really explore and say, okay, this candidate is not part of the Republican Party. Um, can I support them? Right. And in some cases, I can say absolutely yes. And in others, it's like, I don't know. I struggle with that. I'm really glad to have your call. You sound like you have some really interesting views there. Krista? Yeah. Um, well, you know, and I I, 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 I do want to say again, I, I think that um, the, the conservative churches, for example, 
that you're describing um, are just a slice of the reality, but they do get a lot of attention. Um, I've been really intrigued by um, the kind of diversity of response and input into this political moment in the evangelical world, meaning, actually, the National Association of Evangelicals. Meaning what? Russell Moore, who's the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination. Um, you know, not not being dogmatic, um, being discerning, weighing in appreciatively on certain nominations of President Trump, like um, uh, uh, Gorsuch for the Supreme Court, right. um, being really pushing back on refugees and saying, you know, Christians welcome the stranger and the outcast. There's no other way to read our Bibles. I think there's an interesting dialogue going on. Kind of below the radar. I was reading something that Russell Moore, uh, as you said, of the Southern Baptist Convention told The Atlantic recently about President Trump. He said most pastors were fundamentally skeptical of Trump, even if they ended up voting for him. Professional political activists within the evangelical community were his big supporters. Mm. You think that's Mm. right? Professional political activists. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's a that's not everyone. But but he's also, as you say, acknowledging mm-hmm. the diversity of mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. within within the Southern Baptist Convention among evangelicals. Yeah. You're listening to Indivisible. Uh, we are coming to you tonight on Thursday nights, as we do. We talk about identity from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Tonight, I'm talking about where uh, religion and a attachment to a faith community or not meets your political views. I gave you a little bit of context at the beginning of the conversation. We're at a time when fewer of us are attending organized religious services, although many Americans would still call themselves religious. Many young Americans are identifying themselves as having no religious affiliation. And I want to hear from you about how your political views may or may not be influenced by your connection to a faith community. Here's the phone number, 844-745-8255. To be candid with you, the phone lines are really busy. Keep trying to get in. I definitely want to hear from you. On Twitter, at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio. And, uh, and try us back if you can't get in on the phone lines or join me on Twitter. Jennifer Bailey continues with us. Krista Tippett continues with us as we talk about religion and faith and where they intersect in your life. This is Indivisible. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. 
In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Carrie Miller, and tonight I'm leading that conversation from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio. And on the agenda tonight, where faith fits into identity and politics. Jennifer Bailey is with me. She's the founder of Faith Matters Network, based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And Krista Tippett is here. She's the host of On Being, heard on public radio stations nationwide. And Jen and Krista, we have so many people on the phone lines. I'm going to go right back to the phones here to Stephen in Atlanta. Stephen, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm a, um, an ordained Southern Baptist uh, minister, actually, oh. um, kind of dovetailing with your previous caller. Right. But I'm 33 years old, so on the younger side of uh, maybe the Southern Baptist Convention. So I would certainly identify you know, very conservatively, um, religiously, so pro-life. Um, but for me and for many of my friends and you know, folks I hang out with and people that are um, in my circles, boy, this has been a really uh, frustrating season for us um, because, you know, it feels like our, our religious convictions are only able to hit politics with maybe a glancing blow at best um, right now because of just how polarized it is between, um, you know, right and left. And um, I believe as an evangelical uh, that the Bible cuts across those lines in ways that you know, kind of frustratingly tough to give a voice to right now, um, if that makes any sense. It, it so does. I'm echoing the, the previous caller in some ways, yeah. You know, Stephen, I, I'm interested having heard you just describe that, how you, you're leading a church as a pastor? Uh, one of a few leaders, yeah. Okay. So I'm interested in how you talk about that to your, to your congregation. Well, sure, very carefully and mm-hmm. um, very, with with a lot of understanding, um, with a lot of, hopefully, a lot as much care as I can um, for for differing views, I try to make it a place where those things are are topics that we can talk about, you know, together. Um, but it's 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 not easy to broach those topics. Um, uh, it, it's what I my role it really is to teach uh, the Bible to help um, people understand how the gospel relates to their lives. And uh, I believe, and, and I think, you know, this is a common Southern Baptist or, you know, very conservative belief that the gospel touches all of our lives, including, you know, our politics. And, it, and it's very unlikely that it's going to line up perfectly with one party or the other. And so I try to, you know, help people see, you know, it's okay, like one issue at a time, one person at a time. Um, but, but as for how my religion or my religious convictions affect my politics, I would say, you know, fully, as fully as I can possibly integrate them. And so um, that's not easy today when, hmm. you know, Absolutely. maybe in the older generation, there are more folks who would um, maybe see a conservative religious stance as, as, as not hitting with so glancing a blow, if, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. um, it's, you have to navigate that carefully and, and pastorally, but... Um, yeah, so that's kind of where it, where it is. I, I'm really glad for your call, uh, Stephen. And I'm going to put this to our other our pastor on the uh, 
uh, in the conversation here. Jennifer, what do you hear there from Stephen? And do you find yourself doing the same kind of careful navigation that, that he is talking about? Certainly, I think. Thank you so much, Stephen, for that call. And thank you for the way in which you're holding the complexity of people being people, right? And having um, a variety of things that they bring to the table as we're helping as pastors and as ministers, folks discern um, what the Bible has to say about their lives. So I I just want to say that word of appreciation for the process that Stephen's undergoing you know, for me, what I also hear in Stephen's comment is a a real rupture, right? Um, in the sense that every person who identifies as an evangelical um, is not necessarily perfectly aligned with President Trump's agenda, as one might assume. And as an African-American, one of the most poignant articles that came out post-election was written by Dr. Yolanda Pierce at Princeton Theological Seminary, an African-American mm-hmm. Um, scholar. And she wrote an article that struck me in Religion Dispatches that said, 81% of my white evangelical Christian brethren and sisters voting for Donald Trump has broken something inside of me. And so, you know, as someone who sits from the position of the black church and who primarily is serving uh, marginalized communities, yeah, there was something about the election moment for many of us that as we're sitting in the season of Lent, felt like a crucifixion moment, the 2016 election cycle, where many of us um, saw um, the church and many of our brothers and sisters in Christ standing back and not speaking out for the immigrant, not speaking out for the refugee, not speaking out for those who identify as LGBT or black folk or brown folk, right, Mm -hmm. who are really in the crosshairs this past presidential election cycle. And so many of us are still grieving that process. And at the same time, I can't help but think that one of the great gifts of this election cycle is that it was really an apocalyptic moment. And I, and I say that not meaning the end times <laughs> with superheroes and like fire and brimstone, but in the real Greek root of the word, which means to uncover. Mm-hmm. And what was uncovered, it was this real sense and of the deep ruptures at the phrase and our, at the very heart of our democracy and, and I would argue at the heart of Christendom in the United States. And so I would invite us to think about this particular moment in American history as a moment where we can begin repairing the breach, as they say in Isaiah, right? As the Word of God says in Isaiah, and begin to really think about the real ruptures in the heart and roots of those ruptures Sunday morning is still one of the most racially segregated times in America, and there's a reason for that. Um, And I think until we can begin to name aloud those ruptures, whether they be around race or issues of sexuality or gender um, and poverty, right, the folks who feel ignored in this, in our republic, I don't know that we can move forward. But this is an opportunity because once you see things, you can't unsee them. And I think many of us have seen for the first time those ruptures. And I believe religious communities really have an opportunity in this moment to step up as folks who know something about this work of community building, know something about um, this ethic of love and unity um, through our differences that can be really powerful and transformative if we allow it to be. Jen, you mentioned uh, immigration, and I, I want to take a call here from Haley in your hometown. 
of Nashville. I, I think a lot of what you said may resonate with her. Is that true, Haley? Welcome. Good to have you. Good to have you calling in. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, it, it really did. Um, I personally have experienced a movement away from organized religion because of the many political topics like marriage equality, women's right to choose, and immigration. Um, I've been left feeling that there's not a place for me in modern Christian religions, especially in the red religious South. Uh, at the topic of whether or not I give back to my community, I do, and it's because of our current political climate and my struggle to fit in elsewhere that I've decided to every day have a giving, or every month have a giving day, um, I can't necessarily give much, but it's what I can do, and it's my way to give back when I don't have that solid religious community that I had as a child. What what uh, what religious community were you connected to as a kid, Haley? I was raised Roman Catholic, and I always say that I survived 16 years of Catholic education. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to say, Krista, the, the Catholic Church does a lot of, makes a lot of investment in community, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm curious, Haley, about what it is, it, but, it, but it's the political views that, that your Catholic Church holds that you can't reconcile. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So and is it is it something you've experienced or is it what you, is it the, is it what you read and hear and understand of, that comes out of political analysis in the news? Well, for Yeah, for me personally, I love the Catholic Mass. There's something so beautiful about it. Um, It's very meditative, and for my spiritual nourishment, it really speaks to me. However, one of the last times that I went to Mass, we were instructed specifically to pray um, on a pro-life issue. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a political Mm -hmm. climate in our state of Tennessee where there's some legislation being passed, and I have not been back to church yeah. since that moment because it was made very clear that that was the stance. And of course, I know that having grown up Catholic, um, but because I am socially liberal, I didn't feel comfortable in that environment any longer. You know, I feel like what's really um, showing here in these la- these last few exchanges. And I think Stephen started this very thoughtfully by pointing out that, you know, the gospel, human and deep human and spiritual questions align very imperfectly with the definition and de- debate around political mm, issues. Right. And it's it, it's tearing a lot of people up inside. And I I think it would behoove us to step back and name that there's a way in which these things get so enmeshed in American culture and it doesn't do justice to these vast questions in our midst. Um, and in fact, it, it, it has a toxic effect on politics as well. And again, the media, as you noted and, before, yeah, it gets simplified. It to gets this. simplified. It's a shorthand that becomes convenient. Yes, Krista, uh, Jen, here's Jamie in Pittsburgh who says, "I'm 31. I was raised Baptist. I find that my relationship with my religion has changed over the years because of the hypocrisies." This is that. This is that kind of internal struggle that you were mentioning, uh, Krista. 
only worked for nonprofits. We're at a point where we can separate our institutions and our values. Mm. We don't necessarily need faith institutions. Let me grab a call here from Beth in Massachusetts. Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for waiting. What part of Massachusetts are you in? I'm in Metro West Boston, so just outside of the city. Um, But thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to say, so I am um, the religious education director at an Episcopal church. um, And my family goes there and my two children attend the church school program that I run. Um, And I just feel a real sense of obligation to represent my church and my community um, on the religious left um, to really counteract, I feel, the stranglehold that the religious right has had um, in the political realm for maybe three to four decades. Um, I just feel like it's really important that the most fundamental lesson that we teach our children um, at my church is that every single person is beloved of God in the same way, to the same extent as they are, no matter their color, their creed, their nationality. Um, And once you understand that, and once the children understand that, it's really impossible to look at somebody who is as beloved by God as you are and deny them things like clean water, um, voting rights, to deny them access to adequate health care, to deny them um, refuge when they're in time of need. So to me, I feel like there's no option for me but to live out my Christian faith through um, what's considered, I guess, liberal politics. Um, so for instance, if we participate in a political action or parade, we're always very careful to do it under the guise of our church um, to say this is what we believe Jesus' message is, um, and we want to stand up and be counted as religious Christian um, activists mm-hmm. in these causes so that we can um, kind of take away the stigma of if you are Christian, you must be conservative. Um, So that's just very important to what we do. Uh, And, you know, Beth, you're also pointing to something that I said at the beginning of the the conversation as I was giving some context to this. Progressive Protestant congregations seeing this renewed interest and I wonder, Jen, if you think some of these churches are going to feel themselves pushed to be more politically active than they've traditionally been comfortable with. What do you think? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, many of us who whose lives and identities exist on the margins, right, so folks of color, LGBT folks, folks who are undocumented, um, we need our brothers and sisters and mainline denominations um, and more progressive-leaning denominations to to take a stand, to stand with us. And in many cases, um, for those of who are privileged in particular ways, to stand in the gap for us um, when it comes to the voices of violence. A, a quick story that I'll share. I participated in the Women's March in Nashville, Tennessee, um, right after President Trump's inauguration. And was really torn about whether to go as a woman of color. I think some of the politics around the Women's March initially, yeah. um, many women of color didn't particularly feel comfortable attending, but but felt convicted to go and went with a group of friends and decided to wear my clergy collar, which I don't wear often, um, but I did wear it that day. And it was striking to me, one, by the look of 
shock on people's faces to see someone who I was so visibly in clergy gear present <laughs> at the march. And also, you know, there was a young, um, youngish, so I would say she was in her late 30s, uh, woman who came up to me and said, oh my goodness, you know, I'm a pastor in the United Methodist Church. It's so good to see other clergy out there today. Mm. I would have never thought of wearing my collar. And it was striking why? to me, right? Um, <laughs> as, I, I don't understand why. Um, you know, I think particularly in the context of the South, we recognize that, um, one, women's leadership is not always um, acknowledged. Two, I, I think people have a real fear of showing up in the context of their faith, um, particularly um, some of my brothers and sisters in mainline denominations, um, and making their faith such a public witness. And so it, it was striking to me um, that I had all these secret clergy women coming up to me at the <laughs> Women's March, um, congratulating me um, for being present. And my charge to them was, and I need you to be here with me and visible so that people know Many people who, particularly those who are on the, the left and who myself identify as progressive, that there are faith communities that are present and with them. Right. Um, I think many people on the left feel abandoned in some cases by religion. Krista? You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here listening to all of this, and I'm thinking about how these dividing lines— that are politic that that come from political language mm -hmm. and political dynamics progressive religious right are in the middle of us and they again they 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 are overlaid on deeper realities more complex dynamics they don't serve us they don't tell the whole story this work at all. moving forward of creating common life um, and, you know, let's just say loving your neighbors, loving your enemies, knowing our neighbors. It feels to me like all kinds of religious people, right and left, need to disentangle themselves from categories that in fact are alien to the deepest calling. And not just in the faith realm, but also in the political realm. I think, right? Because the labels don't serve us well in that arena either. No, they don't. And I have less hope about the political realm <laughs> okay. mustering that. But I think good people out there and, you know, here's what I know. Any, you know, it's something like 40% of Americans is falls under this umbrella of evangelical. Any, that is a huge number of human beings. There is a With huge a lot of diversity, amount of diversity. Yeah. Right. And when we divide the world up into these political labels and even into issues, you know, to imagine that everybody on the other side doesn't want clean water or doesn't care about refugees is just not going to be true. You're listening to Indivisible. I'm Carrie Miller. We're coming to you tonight from the studios of Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota, and talking about where faith fits into identity and politics. Stay with us. Indivisible is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. 
Tonight, that national conversation is about where faith fits into identity and politics. Krista Tippett with us, host of On Being, and Jennifer Bailey with us, the founder of Faith Matters Network, based in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm asking, if you've just gotten in on the show, um, I want to remind you that as we talk about how faith uh, influences your ideas, your connection to a faith community or not, I'm asking about how that connection to a faith community may influence your political beliefs. And I love hearing from a number of you who are 35 and under because I'm because what we're seeing is that a number of millennials, for lack of a better word, are identifying as nuns. What do we mean by that? Not N-U-N. We mean N-O-N-E-S. That's what the researchers are calling it. Krista, I think people were thinking we meant nuns. Like oh, yeah, N-U-N-S. right. That's so. another reason it's such an imperfect <laughs> label. Exactly. You always have to spell it. That's right. <laughs> having having no uh, formal connection to a faith community. That's what we mean by nuns. So I wanted you to, to realize that. And I'd love to hear from you from a number of different faith communities. 844-745-8255. Find me on Twitter at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio. By the way, I want you to know that after the show is over, I go through all the tweets. So I'm reading everything you're tweeting during the show. It just takes me some time to go through it. And and I'm absorbing a lot of what you have to say on Twitter. So I really appreciate that. Okay, to the phones to Olivia in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hey, Olivia, thanks so much for waiting. No problem. Thanks for letting me on. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You're in your mid-20s. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm 24. And um, I have been born and raised in the South. I am actually from Southern Mississippi and now live in Central Arkansas. And uh, I was raised in a very, very strict um, Christian religion mm-hmm. in which that we are taught not to become politically involved. Is that you're a Jehovah's Witness or you were a, raised in the Jehovah's Witness tradition? Yes. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, so in this religion, you know, you're taught not to become um, involved in politics and uh, worldly matters because, you know, God is the only one that can solve all of our problems. Mm-hmm. And though I do, you know, am still a Christian and I still, I, I still do have, you know, faith that God will, you know, help his people and care for his people, um, I have come to realize as I've grown that, you know, not being aware of what's happening politically um, and just culturally around me, you know, it's just not, it's not really a good idea. (laughs) And so it's been really interesting for me. Um, You know, really, I think this started for me in college. So, you know, 21, 20 years old, just in the past three, four years, I've started to realize, okay, you know, this is, I have ideas and values kind of outside of this religion that I was raised in and these things that were, you know, taught to me from a very, very early age. So it's been interesting for me because, like you said, you know, I don't really feel like I fit in anywhere. Um, I don't really have a set religion anymore, and um, I'm kind of just floating, as somebody said before. Um, And I realized that even though I've been raised in the South in a very conservative religion, I'm really not that conservative. I'm actually quite liberal and progressive. So this interest, this conversation has been so interesting for me, and I really appreciated it, because I do think that a lot of our politics and politicians are, you know, 
they come and they raise these platforms, but I feel like they're really based on religious policies and practices and not really from a human, you know, ethical standpoint. Boy, Olivia, I'm so glad you happened to hear the show because having your voice and your experience on this is is important to the conversation. So thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh, Let's hear from Bryce in Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, Bryce. I know you've been waiting for a while, too, and thanks much for that. No, thank you for, yeah, it's, I've been able to take something from every single person that's called, so I think a lot of what's been on my mind has probably already been said, but um, I'm 31. Uh, Next month, three years ago, I realized my head and my heart matched up and uh, I was saved through Christ. I realized that Christ was who we're told he is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very new, you know, and even with three years, I still consider myself very new to, uh, to the faith. And I'm glad that you're talking about this because it's something that's on my mind probably every day, especially since the election, because of the overwhelming support for who is our president now came from quote unquote evangelicals. And I really liked what was said about labels because that kind of nails it. But, um, you know, it's, it's left me shocked because so many things go countercultural to what Jesus Christ stood for, like love your neighbors as yourself, be kind and, Love and love and love. And so, Bryce, just so, just so I'm of, just so I'm kind of clear about what you're saying, you're saying that within the evangelical community that you joined, you've been surprised at the support for the president that seems to, from your perspective, go to be contrary to the tenets of of the faith. Is that right? To the basic. Yeah. To the okay. basic principles of a Christ follower, you know. And it, it it's left me it's left me with with questions, which is why it's something that that is on my mind all kind of all the time. Which is why I'm glad you're talking about it. But it is, um, you know, j- just within the last couple of weeks, um, it's like where, as a Christian, the problem has come into for the past forty years or so of the being more feeling like we're more morally superior to other people. Mm, yeah. But then ultimately what we're doing is we're asking people who don't believe in Jesus and don't call themselves Christians to believe in the same things we do. And mm. so that goes with the pro-life. It goes with um, with ultimately civil rights. And then all of a sudden, if we're standing up for a minority, then we're being a liberal. We're not being a Christian. Well, and and as you said, and as Krista and Jen have said, that those political labels just don't fit this conversation. Jen, Jen I'm, I'm interested in what you heard in, in uh, Bryce and Olivia before him. Certainly. I think to, back to Krista's earlier point about labels, I think one of the unique giftings of the millennial um, generation is that, to borrow a, a term from um, African-American legal scholar Ken, Kimberly Crenshaw, we are very interested in the intersectionality of our identities, that we don't want to choose one thing over the other, but want to be recognized in the fullness of who we are. Um, and Dr. Crenshaw's work, that really falls in thinking about the intersection of race, gender, um, 
and class for black women. But I think what you're hearing here is that for many young folks, the desire to not um, divide up or be cast with a a broad brush, but to be recognized for the particularity of who they are. And I think for me, that is deeply gospel work (laughs) as a Christian, right? I think about... um, the, the image in the book of Genesis of God creating us all in God's image and the invitation that that means that even in the particularity of who we are, right, even though we are vastly and radically different, there is a God presence in each of us. And I think for many folks, um, the denial of that God presence in the other is one of the things that turns them off, quite frankly, um, from Christianity. And I know for a fact that Uh, Although we haven't touched on it much yet this evening, the same phenomenon is being experienced for many of my friends of different religious traditions um, who are facing similar challenges within the context of their faith and not wanting to to be labeled in one particular way, but wanting to be recognized and embraced in the fullness of who God created them to be and um, who their God um, really promotes in, in terms of love and peace and and all of those core values that are so central across religious traditions. You know, I want to I want to put Casey in here, Krista, for a minute because I think she's going to be additive to what Jen just said in our other callers. Um, hi, Casey. Thank you for waiting in St. Paul, I should say. So good to have your call. Thanks for taking me. Yeah. What are you thinking about? Um, I identify myself as agnostic, getting closer to atheist, mm-hmm. and I'm discouraged by the conversations we have politically, because you hear so many end with God. God wants us to go to war. God says gay marriage is wrong. God says abortion is wrong. And you can't argue with that. When someone said, God told me we're going to go to war, I can't say, no, he didn't. (laughs) You know, you can't argue with that. You can't, there's nothing, there's no real world consequences. When you say God says abortion is wrong, you can't up what effect it has on these women, what effect did they have on kids? Yeah, the conversation kind of stops there. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's no there's no discourse once God comes into the conversation. I wish there was a way to separate the two. I understand that there's really not, but I just, that's the frustrating thing about the whole conversation to me. Yeah. Uh, this is back to, Chris. I think, the vocabulary, the, the lack of the vocabulary yeah. to use uh, in this. Also, also, and I, I think that, you know, what I'm going to say is true of across the traditions, um, not just Christianity and Judaism, but that we do end up talking about Christianity because, you know, it, it, it is, it, well, I don't even know if it's, it's, we're not a majority Protestant nation anymore, but but the politicized religiosity tends to be in a Christian voice. But these traditions at their heart are not merely about beliefs. They are about virtues. They are about care for the other. Now, that can be interpreted and understood many ways in terms of how do you apply that to laws and to politics. Um, but that is missing in, and I think this is going to what Casey's saying, like that, this embodied, you know, it, this part of life and these traditions are about discernment and not merely positioning. 
And, you know, that's the, there's a tradition of public theology that in the mid-20th century was very robust. And, and what public theology, I think, as is best does is it brings nuance and asks critical questions on every side. It, it, it introduces complexity and, and reality in the form of moral complexity uh, rather than simplifying, which is kind of the move of politics and I am longing for religious people and traditions to insert this heart uh, of that enterprise into our common life, not just into politics. You know, Joan, just as Krista was saying that, I was thinking, um, and you as an ordained minister are good to ask about this. I'm also hearing a real hunger and need from our listeners, from our callers tonight to say, Let's have those discussions as a, you know, as Bryce from Kansas City to say, can we can can I be in a a setting that's important to me within a faith community and have these kinds of conversations? I think maybe some churches are are missing that. I agree. I don't know that we have enough spaces in general to have what I would call real talk, right, right. about the very issues that um we're, we're raised and have been raised by our callers. And one, one place that I've found particularly interesting over the past um, month or so has been this campaign called 100 Days, 100 Dinners, which has been doing work to circle up folks across the political, partisan, and indeed religious lines hmm. to begin having deep conversations about the core motivations that bring us to the table because we know that part of the ways in which um, – Religion can be leveraged as a weapon to shut people down Mm -hmm. is to deny them the truth of their story. And so this campaign has been going on over the first 100 days of the Trump administration and has been a powerful venue. And I invite your listeners to check it out, 100days100dinners.us. Um, to bring people to the table around dinner, which is, you know, one of the most sacred unifying forces we all need to eat <laughs> and and I think can be used both in religious and non-religious contexts to begin having deep conversations about what it means for us to step into a space where we see one another again, right. not just as labels, to Krista's point, but as real people with real stories who exist in the particularity of our stories and um, begin with that place of deep conversation and relationship building. You know, um, Jen is reminding me, Krista, maybe you know Bill Doherty. We did the show, yes, The yes. Indivisible mm-hmm. Show with him. He mm-hmm. is, he's like the dean of marriage counselors, and he was in here a couple yeah, of weeks systems. ago. family systems. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and he's with this project that sounds not all that dissimilar to what Jen is talking about, where they bring voters from uh, of opposite views together in Ohio in one county, and they do it for a weekend, and it's hard. And they have to do, Jen, exactly what you said, see one another and truly listen to one another. There are tears. There are people stomping out. We talked to a couple of people that participated. <laughs> uh, it's hard work, but... Um, all agreed at the end of it, incredibly worthwhile, hard, but worthwhile. I want to get another caller in here, if I can, to Valentino in New York City. Hey, hi. Hello. Hi. Tell me Tell me what you're Thanks thinking about. Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. Yes. No, I wanted to say um, I'm a, I, was a, I was Christian. I converted to Islam, so I'm Muslim now for mm-hmm. about eight years. Mm-hmm. I'm in my um, late 20s. I am not a part of any uh, fake community. 
But um, I would like to say, in in the U.S., I, I tend to see um, when someone follows religion, they tend to fall to the direction that they have to believe in a certain political view. I don't think it's it, it should be like this. Um, the more liberal you are, the more fair you are, the more open you to you are to globalization. Um, the more conservative you are, the little more strict and difficult it is to um, choose a political side. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to say um, I'm not part of, uh, I guess I'm one of those groups, the nuns. Yeah. I'm not part of a faith community, and for at least the Muslim community, uh-huh. it's very difficult to create these faith communities and talk about politics. Ever since the whole um, World Trade Center situation, the world on terror, a lot of um, religious scholars would, you know, steer away from talking about politics just because it gets very, very gray. Right. It, it, yeah, it's it's deeply complicated. And I and I think not just within your faith community, but I think we've been hearing that from from many of our callers. Valentino, I appreciate the call. Krista, thank you very much. Really good. Oh, what a pleasure. I, it feels like this is a conversation that so many of us are longing to just keep happening where we live. Yeah. You yeah. mean indivisible overall? Yes. And, 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 and the conversation that started here this last right. hour. All right. Hey, thank you. Good to have you in the yeah, studio. Thanks. Jen, thank you so much. I, I wish you very well with your work at the church and with uh, Faith Networks. It, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate, but really good to hear your views on this. Thank you so much for having me. And let's continue the conversation to all my fellow millennials out there who are are hungry for it. Okay, really good. Yeah. And and in that spirit, I will say that, um, as mentioned, you can tweet me, find me on Twitter. It's at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, as in Minnesota. Use the hashtag Indivisible Radio, reading all of your tweets. You'll find me retweeting over the next 24 hours or so. But I really appreciate so many of you calling in with uh, such insightful and engaging ideas. So thank you for the conversation. Support for Indivisible is provided in part by Emerson Collective, the Ford Foundation, and the Jacob and Valeria Langloth Foundation. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.